Welcome to the Temple Forum, a podcast from First United Methodist Church in the heart of Chicago. Here we welcome a diversity of voices and conversation about how we live in the world as people of faith. Hello, I'm Jan Engmeyer. The U.S. Supreme Court's June decision to overturn Roe versus Wade has generated intense responses and continues to have ripple effects across the country now that women's reproductive rights are being decided pretty much by where they live. In this installment of the Temple Forum, we're talking with Reverend Camille Henderson Edwards. She's the Director for Economic Health and Gender Justice at the General Board of Church and Society for the United Methodist Church. Welcome to the Temple Forum, Reverend Henderson Edwards. We are so delighted to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Dan. I'm I'm happy to be here. Your work is with decision makers in government and faith coalitions on behalf of the General Board of Church and Society. So uh, provide a little information for us. What is the General Board? What's their role? And how do you fit in? Yeah, so the General Board of Church and Society is one of 13 uh, agencies within the United Methodist Church, um, and our role is to pursue peace with justice. Um, we advocate um, to uh, actors within Congress, within the administration, um, and we also have representation to the United Nations, along with other coalition partners. So coalitions both within um, the DC area and then those outside um, both domestically and internationally who uh, collectively work to advocate for several issues within the portfolios that um, we manage. And so our goal is to ensure that we have um, public witness to uh, the morals of the United Methodist Church as they are listed in our social principles. That's wonderful. Well, the General Board of Church and Society issued a strong statement in response to the Supreme Court's ruling in June. The United Methodist Church is a very large denomination, and there are some who worked and prayed to overturn reproductive rights and those who worked and prayed to keep those choices in place for women. How does the church deal with these differing views? Yeah, so I think at the time when you know we first had um, the leak, right, of what would take place within the Supreme Court a few months before uh, the decision uh, was was shared. Um, and so from that time until June, uh, when the decision came out, um, myself and my colleagues within Church and Society, and then, you know, clergy, lay, we began to have conversations around what it means to work within a denomination that is not monolithic, right? And that is one of the beauties of the United Methodist Church in that um, we are a unified body with multiple identities, with multiple cultures and beliefs and, and practices represented. Um, and so what that meant for us was honoring what our social principles have stated. Um, we know that the process of um, writing and considering, reviewing, um, and 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 commenting on the social principles is one that is not done in a vacuum. So writers from all across the denomination coming together um, to 
to confirm, right, what it is that we collectively believe um, and to allow our social principles to serve as a moral guide um, within that. And so in crafting this statement, we walked very closely with the social principles, so, you know, in paragraph 161 um, on abortion and then also uh, paragraph 161M, I believe, um, that talks about uh, ministry with those who've experienced abortion. So we know that the, the statement, social principle statement on abortion, there are several things that, that it honors and upholds, the sanctity of life, in that we are co-laborers, co-creators with the divine, that when God breathed life and breath into us, that was a sacred act, and we honor that. Um, we honor that we do not support abortion as a mean of eugenics. Um, we honor that the act um, or consideration of an abortion is one that should be done in community. Um, there is the, the passage within the statement on abortion that recognizes that amidst the sanctity of life and amidst our co-creation with the divine as we seek to bring life into the world, that we recognize that tragic life conflicts with life. I think that notes that there are certain things that happen in life that we cannot plan for, that we do not anticipate. Um, there are things that happen in life that that we would not envision happening to ourselves, and yet we find ourselves in situations uh, where that is very present. Um, and so we wanted to reflect that in that statement of recognizing that it is possible to hold in tension the sanctity of life with the conflicts of life. And I think that the conversations that we had both uh, within the agency and then with others, right, who we are along this United Methodist journey, um, that the foremost thing was that we wanted to uphold the dignity of the mother and the child when we're having this conversation around abortion. Um, I also think that the social principles, it really reflects that grace abounds, that as we seek to uphold um, this sort of co-creation that we have with the divine, that things don't always turn out as planned. Um, and until we are in those situations where we find um, many birthing persons, uh, where they find we find ourselves in those spaces where the unexpected happens, um, grace abounds. Um, and so we wanted to both name. Um, either sides of, this, of the spectrum uh, when we're talking about reproductive health. Um, but then we also wanted to ensure that for those who had mixed feelings, adverse reactions to what had happened from the Supreme Court case, um, that there was space for that, for the mourning and for the reactions, for the emotions, for the lament that may have come out of that. We wanted to be mindful of that. Um, and so again, all the decisions that we do um, at Church and Society, it is not one that happens in a vacuum. It is one that happens through conversation across many spectrums. Um, and it is one um, that 
upholds the integrity of our social principles and it upholds what we understand God calling us to do um, in any given moment. I appreciate your choice of the word grace um, in this situation because we certainly need that. And, and as you mentioned, the United Methodist Church has this set of social principles and part of it does address um, women's rights and reproductive choices. Um, now that we've had this decision from the Supreme Court, are there efforts to change that with this decision? So currently, I mean, we're still in that in-between phase. So we know that uh, we thought we would be going into general conference <laughs> at the end of the quadrennium for 2020, but the unexpected happened. And so we have a set of revised social principles, or 2020 revised social principles. Um, we're still in the um, process of, of discerning then what would take place with, we're sort of like in limbo, uh, that our next uh, general conference will take place in 2024. Uh, and we have these set of revised social principles um, that uh, are sort of in the queue um, and we'll you know, wait for further instruction in, in terms of how to um, navigate those four general conference 2024. Um, so currently, no, our social principles are as it stands in the book of discipline, the 2016 book of discipline. Um, and uh, that has not been shifted or changed based off of the Dobbs decision um, this past June. And we do have a thing called separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. So um, it should not be the Supreme Court that decides what the United Methodist Church or anybody else's church is going to do. So um, I guess we have to stay tuned until 2024 and that general conference um, to see if there's any action on this. So I think that your building, the Methodist building, is just across the street from the United States Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. Tell us about your experience um, in June before and after that Dobbs decision on the abortion rights case. Yeah, so I will say, and it was an interesting day. So in the days leading up to the Supreme Court's uh, decision, we knew that it was coming. We didn't know the the, the actual date itself that the Supreme Court would uh, release its decision. Um, and even just the, you know, getting off of the Metro, um, walking onto Capitol Hill uh, for some days, um, I think, man, I think from the time of the Supreme Court leak onto the decision in June, um, the, the spirit and the air of the area shifted. Uh, people were protesting uh, in front of the Supreme Court and we are literally across the street. So we um, like share parking lots. Um, and so we were at the forefront of protests on both sides of the argument for um, reproductive health or access to reproductive health. Um, we you know watched as the gates went up in front of the Supreme Court um, uh, in response to the protests. And, you know, many times we're meeting sort of like interrupted from, you know, the vocal um, protests that that took place on any given day. Um, and so it was a Friday that um, I came into the office and had several meetings. Um, and I was in the midst of one meeting 
when I heard just this loud scream happen outside and I immediately knew the decision had came out, had come out. Um, and so I wrapped up the meeting that I was in and I went um, outside with a colleague just to sort of be in the midst of what was taking place. Um, there was a great deal of lament. There was a great deal of rage. There was a great deal of not knowing what to say in the moment, but to express it either through chant and protest that, you know, people who were leading, um, there were many who just sort of stood on the sidewalks, um, taking things in. Um, there were many who, you know, decided to be in community. There were groups of people who came uh, to sit in front of the Supreme Court. Um, and so I think that day I observed just a lot of different reactions to um, the Supreme Court's ruling. Um, there were many who, as you shared before we started that, you know, had witnessed life before Roe v. Wade, right? We know um, that this, you know, came in place, you know, 1973. And so to have, lived a life pre-Roe and to find themselves in a space post-Roe um, or at, you know, as a result of, of Dobbs v. Jackson, there was a lot of emotion. Um, and I found myself wanting to curate space and to be in conversation with people, with congregations that were struggling to make sense of the emotions that came up. Um, and I think that the conversation that we have around reproductive health in the United Methodist Church, it is a long one. It is not one that is um, simple. It is a very complex thing to discuss, um, but I always lift up and I'm, I'm grateful of the work of the Council of Bishops. Um, they also came out with a statement highlighting that no matter where we are on this spectrum of abortion, um, we are called to be in ministry with the people that we are in community. And I think that also highlights, right, the, the social principles I stated before of being, being in ministry with those who've experienced abortion. I think that day also highlighted uh, that people were beginning to have conversation around the conditions of women and girls within their communities. Um, for me, it highlighted, I shared uh, in um, a conversation, another conversation outside of this that, that I, reflected a lot on how we might begin to do better um, by our women, by our girls, um, um, how we might be able to create sacred space for women and girls to process, for, for women and girls to share, 
um, and in an authentic way that is void of judgment. Um, and for them to have an encounter with God, an encounter with the, with the holy that is meaningful for them. So again, I think in some, that experience that day was one of mixed emotion, a broad range of emotion. And I see our focus moving forward. Um, one of our goals is to create space for people to process that emotion within community, um, within a faith community, um, where we may begin to make meaning of what has happened um, and to move forward as the body of Christ. Yeah. Oh, what efforts are underway, if any, uh, by the General Board of Church and Society to ensure that all people and their families get the reproductive health care that they need, no matter where they live, nor their economic status? Mm -hmm. Don't you think that this is part of a larger social justice issue of access to health care? It absolutely is. And so one of the, in addition to reproductive health, we've been having this conversation around maternal health, um, specifically maternal mortality within the United States. Um, it is, I'm, I'm trying to find the word for it. The fact that there was a recent study that was, uh, was reported that between 2017 and 2019, um, of the uh, pregnancy-related deaths that took place during that time frame, 80% of those deaths were preventable. And so- It's shameful. I think the word is shameful. Shameful. I, <laughs> In yes, this country. That is, that is the word for, for, for that to be a reality um, for us. And, and on top of that, we know uh, that if we were to apply the lens of race to this issue, Black women giving birth in the United States are three to four times more likely to die than white women. And so as we have this conversation around reproductive health and access to um, healthcare, we must also consider what, it, what are current realities for us uh, in this context. And so what we've been doing, I'm talking, I'm mindful that I'm talking um, within the US context. There are also um, measures within an international context in terms of addressing issues of maternal mortality. Um, what we've been doing within the US context is advocating for legislation that would speak to um, enhanced access or increased access to um, healthcare that would help um, mitigate some of what we're dealing with in terms of maternal mortality. Um, so right now we're focusing a lot on the Black Maternal uh, Momnibus Act of 2021, sponsored by Representative Lauren Underwood, who is uh, a representative outside of Chicago or from uh, Chicago. Um, and we've been joining with uh, coalitions in DC to make sure that, that we are doing our due diligence uh, to seeing that that piece of legislation is passed. It's passed the House. And now we're working um, to make sure that the Senate knows how important this piece of legislation um, is. And then also, uh, we've done some work, advocacy work around Medicaid expansion, um, that Medicaid uh, has 
provided um, healthcare resources and access to healthcare for, for those states who have expanded it, for those states who have made it so that persons who are within that gap of um, not receiving uh, health insurance from either their employer and who don't make enough money to, to purchase healthcare for them to receive healthcare. We know that I think there are still about uh, 12 to 13 states who have not expanded Medicaid. Um, and so we want to ensure that that we're advocating for its expansion. Um, also within that, um, connecting the maternal health piece, uh, we want to ensure that, you know, within that Medicaid piece, that provisions for mothers postpartum, I think right now it covers up to six months postpartum, uh, but to extend that to a year, that, that that's really important. Um, and so all of these measures around maternal health, around reproductive health, around access to care um, are some of the focus areas that, that we're hoping to gain success in both within this current congressional session, which is coming to a close in a couple months, um, but then continued work for the next congressional session um, after elections. Is there anything else you'd like to add to our conversation? I would, I would like to highlight that this work that we do is within community. And so I serve as uh, staff, as director, for um, issues of economic health and gender justice, um, but I don't work alone. And so the conversations that we have, um, how we advocate um, the experiences, the lived experiences that we bring to our advocacy, that is work that is done within community. It must be done within community. Um, and so, whether we are young or old, uh, whether we come from wealth or whether we come from not wealth, whatever our background is, we all are able to contribute to the work that we do in terms of advocacy uh, for peace with justice. I would like to emphasize that it is something that must be done um, as a collective body. Um, and so any conversation that I have um, with churches, coalitions, or other entities or facilities, I extend the invitation um, to either email or call me um, if churches or communities are wanting to learn more about a particular issue um, or are looking for support in terms of their advocacy efforts, um, that church and society is here to do that. Um, and we welcome, um, yeah, we welcome any sort of feedback or any sort of invitation uh, that others extend. Yeah. That is good to know, and, and we are grateful for all your work. And we thank you, Reverend Camille Henderson Edwards, for telling us about your work as Director of Economic Health and Gender Justice at the General Board of Church and Society for the United Methodist Church. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Jan Engmeyer. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Temple Forum. You've been listening to the Temple Forum from First United Methodist Church in Chicago. 
You can find more conversations like this online at chicagotemple.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us again soon.